So I guess I should start the show by wishing you an early happy birthday, right? Hey, dude, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's on Saturday. But isn't, isn't your birthday coming up? Mine is at the end of the month. Like, mine is oh, okay. like two weeks after you. So, you know, you're the Taurus, I'm the Gemini. I don't think I've ever had like birthday guests on the show around the same time are you, are you doing anything anything fun on the week it's a long weekend it is a long weekend i took tomorrow off actually from I'm, work so i'm it's a, a big super believer long in that weekend. yeah <laughs> it's a super long weekend for me but unfortunately i do have a lot of chores and errands to run uh-huh. um because i recently moved out on my own so you know there's things that need to be done <laughs> i was gonna say that, that, that's the sign that we're getting older right? it's like what are you doing oh, for your birthday i'm i'm dude. i'm like mad organizing my closet yeah i'm ironing, I'm ironing. <laughs> welcome See? to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil toronto canada you are listening to episode 199 of the matinee cast it's my movie loving podcast on my movie loving website thematinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective so you know that thing where you interact with someone online long enough and you think, we should be friends? Well, that's sort of how today goes. Uh, when I'm looking around at what other people are reading or when I'm looking at chatter going on when TCM is playing certain stories, a particular name keeps coming up. Someone with really good taste and someone who seemed like my kind of people. So after 198 episodes, I thought the time was finally right to sit down and have virtual tea with this local if not an actual cup of tea, which we'll have to wait. Her writings and thoughts on many different topics, not just film and books, but on life in general, can be found at SuperVeebs, which is superveebs.wordpress.com. We are across a wire to the north end of my city, where we welcome book nerd and classic film fan extraordinaire Vanessa Bettino to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Ryan. How are you? I'm I'm doing okay. As I said, we're getting close to the long weekend. It's been a it's been a good couple days. Uh, I've I've been I've been just surrounded by a lot of friends and a lot of family. And um, May is going very nicely after after what was kind of a a rough April. So I'm I'm really excited to be sitting down tonight um, to do a good show to, to finally meet you and talk to you after so long. And um, and we've got good things in store. Um, before we get into um, what's coming up, a couple of things. First of all, um, I'm looking for suggestions uh, after. Uh, so many episodes of the show with uh, the White Stripes as my theme music. I'm kind of ready for something new. So um, anybody, if you've got an idea of what would make a better song to start off this show, I'm open to suggestions. Let me know what you think uh, a new theme music for uh, 50 or 60 episodes might be as the show goes into a new age. And also, of course, if you can add, you know that the episode after 199 will be 200th episode. And um, I'm really, really excited First of all, I'm excited that I was able to get out 200 episodes, but I'm really, really excited for um, what has come together. So um, please, if um, if you're a fan of the show or you want to talk up the show, I'd really be excited if you could come back in a few weeks for the episode 200, um, which is going to be dropping in the early part of June. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, because first, we have episode 199, where we will be discussing Tully and turning the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Vanessa. This is Know Your Enemy. Okay, so you sort of know how this goes as a sometimes listener of the show or a listener of two or three episodes anyway. Um, Inquiring Minds want to know, what is the first film you can remember seeing in a theater? Okay, so I thought a lot about this, and I'm not 
exactly sure, but I'm 98% sure 98. that it was... Not 97, yeah, not 99, 98. <laughs> no, 98% sure it okay. was Home Alone, the first one. <laughs> uh, it came out in 1990, so I would have been 8. And I remember going to the movie theater with my parents, uh, my grandparents, all my cousins. It was a huge family event. And let, let us, you know, people, in case they couldn't tell... You have a very large Italian family, right? Like, we're not talking, like, for... for well, <laughs> I wouldn't say, okay, Italian... When, you, when you're bringing in all the cousins, that, that like, you, listen, you must have been taking up at least a row. To me, my family is not big. Uh, <laughs> when we all get together, we're about 20, 25 people. Okay. And believe me, for Italians, that's That's actually kind of small, yeah. <laughs> but, tw- but still, about 20 of you in, in one theater, at yeah. one time, seeing Home Alone... Um, how, how'd it go? Do you remember anything about the actual experience? I remember it vividly. And actually, the the grandmother that came with us, we call in Italian, grandmother is called Nonna. Mm-hmm. So my Nonna that came with us, she actually just passed away. Uh, it's going to be a year at the end of May this month. So I remember vividly just the sound of her laughter. And... To be honest, I mean, my grandparents came here in in the 1960s, I believe. So she knew some English, but she wasn't fluent. So watching this movie, I don't think she knew exactly what was going on. (laughs) Because there was a language barrier. But just the sound of her hysterical laughter, I I could still hear it. And like right now, just talking about it gives me goosebumps. It was su- it's such a nice memory to have. That's awesome. Ev- every time I see that movie on TV around Christmas time, I just I can hear her laughing. Oh man! And it, it just it's awesome. I mean, like it's it's kind of no wonder that you you got the bug for like watching movies and good mm-hmm. stories if if that was kind of your introduction of the whole family goes and it's something joyous, right? Exactly. Oh, I man. think I was just gonna say before you said that. I think that's one of the reasons why I love film so much, because it evokes so much emotion, so many great memories, and it's something that you can do with people you love, right? Is it still a family affair for you? Like, do you still see anything with your parents or with your cousins? Not with my cousins. With my dad, yes, because my my pops and I have very similar taste in movies. And he used to come with us. I remember when I was in high school and me and my friends used to go to the movies. Because we had such similar taste, he used to come with us, with me and my friends. He would never sit with me. He would always sit with my friends. But I remember we saw all the Lord of the Rings movies together, the Matrix movies together. So yeah, me and my dad, we we still watch a lot of movies together. That's nice. Yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. What was was one of the last movies you watched that's not one of the ones we're going to talk about today? So the last movie I watched, it is a silent film called The Merry Widow. I should Uh, should not be surprised that you're bringing up a classic. (laughs) Yeah, if if I bring up a classic, don't be at all surprised. Take a drink, Uh, people. Yes, silent film, 1925, (laughs) uh, starring Mae Murray and my husband, John Gilbert. I love him to death. Uh, and I, I just recorded it off TCM, so I watched it uh, last week, late last week. Tell people what it's about. I think I, I think I know this movie, but tell people who might not be familiar with um, silence or classics or that kind of thing what The Merry Widow is all about. Okay, so The Merry Widow, it's, it's almost like watching a classic fairy tale. Uh, the production values for this movie were through the roof. 
And I remember at the time it was made, it was one of the most expensive movies ever. Uh, and I mean, that was back in 1925. And basically what it is, it's, it's about a, a prince who's evil and his cousin who's like the fun-loving, cheerful guy, and that's who John Gilbert plays. And they meet an American stage actress while staying in an inn, and they both fall in love with her. And just the whole movie goes through. First she goes for the prince, who's like the bad guy. Then she goes for the cousin, which is the good guy. Then she keeps going back and forth, back and forth, and she eventually ends up marrying some rich dude. Uh, who dies on their wedding night and she inherits all his money so now she's a very rich American actress and a lot of stuff happens at the end there's a lot of twists I don't want to give away but essentially it's like watching a fairy tale unfold and obviously it is silent so it, it might not be to everyone's taste but it certainly is to mine I love silent film so the funny thing when you brought that up is my knee-jerk reaction was I thought you were actually watching the 1934 uh, Merry Widow with uh, Maurice Chevalier uh, right. by Ernst Lubitsch. That's not that's not the same story, right? It is the same story. The oh. Merry Widow has actually been remade a bunch of times. I don't know exactly how many. Yeah. But I believe, and I could be wrong, I believe the 1925 version that I watched, I believe that was the first version. But again, I could be wrong. I mean, 1925 were pretty early in the in the age of film anyway, so that's probably around the first time they would have right. taken on something that big. Um, and, and of course, the thing is, the one that I watched in 1934, mm. the, the Ernst Lubitsch version, that one's silent too. So it's it's not like... It, it's different casting and it's a different approach, but it's it, that's always one of those things that's fascinated me was how often some of these stories were done and redone and yeah. redone by these studios that own them. And and they thought to themselves, well, what can we put out this year? Well, we have that story that we didn't do in the last five or six years. Let's do it again. I think that one of the reasons why studios used to do that was because if they had such a successful film why not remake it a few years later and make even more money off it so and, and like obviously if you're talking about you know your husband was in it uh, you 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 <laughs> dug, you dug watching this movie i imagine yeah very nice i, I love if, if anyone's listening and i'm sure they are if you are looking for someone new to fall in love with definitely check out john gilbert he <laughs> was just amazing that's so cool what is one of the worst movies you have ever seen <laughs> Okay, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. No, but and no. you, and nope. you may just stop recording altogether. <laughs> we'll see. I'm going to go for The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Okay, why that one? I've seen a lot of bad movies before. Like, I, I, I honestly, I watch a lot of movies, and yeah, a few of them have been bad. But this one just was so bad, it made me angry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I watched it for the first time maybe, I want to say five or six years ago, mm -hmm. and I just, it, to me it was just idiotic. Like the story, the story was alright, you know, for a science fiction horror film, it was alright. Mm -hmm. But the way it was executed and just, I don't know, just so many things about that movie I, I can't stand. Okay. Especially the way the female character is portrayed, I don't remember what the character's name was. 
Okay. Uh, but just the way she was portrayed and how helpless they made her, and she was just fainting all over the place. Like, come on. Okay. And I mean, like, it's like let's let's hang some qualifiers on this just in case people haven't been paying attention. It's not like you're not a fan of classic film. It's certainly not like you're not yeah. a fan of classic monster film. Um, because I imagine you don't have problems with Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein and any of those. It's just this one that's kind of part of the lore, you know. When but when you saw it, it just you you came away from it saying, "What the hell?" Exactly. I I love classic horror movies. Dracula is one of my all time favorite hmm. movies. The one from nineteen thirty one. Of course. So it, it's like you said. It's not like I have anything against sci fi or monster movies. I don't. This is literally the only monster movie from the classic film era that I don't like. Okay. Everything else is fine, See, just this one. The funny thing is, I can't actually argue with you because I haven't seen it all the way through. So I, you, you may be right. It may be a complete piece of trash. I know, I know it has its its legions of of, um, of yes. fans. I can't count myself one of them because I haven't seen them yet. I'm kind of now I'm curious <laughs> to be entirely honest. Were you getting flashbacks when they started selling Shape of Water last year? Or you know what? I I have that in my notes for today's podcast. Shape of Water was excellent. I loved that movie. Okay. Uh, and yes, the storyline is very well. I mean, I was going to say it's very similar to Creature on the Black Lagoon, but not really. Maybe just the characters themselves are similar. Yeah, I, the way I looked at it, I mean, it's got that. It's got its DNA in monster movies, but yes. and, and certainly the the main creature has has similar design. But I think there's a lot more things going on that that they kind of took Black Lagoon in that kind of movie and springboarded it into something new. So good. At least you weren't uh, getting, you know, as I said, like PTSD or anything. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> out of it. Um, okay, this could get interesting. Given your appreciation for classic film, what is a classic or essential that you have not seen? Silence of the Lambs. Wow, really? I know. <laughs> okay, that's the best picture winner. So I think that's kind of one of the ones people go to early on. I think that's on like a lot of those top one hundreds. Um, just now i gotta ask are, are you scared not at all it, okay it's one of those movies that you have you know how you have those movies that you've always wanted to see they've always been on your radar but you just never got around to watching them yep that that's what silence of the lambs is to me i love anthony hopkins like the, i'm actually surprised i haven't seen this movie yet <laughs> because he's one of my favorite actors and this is probably like his quintessential role. Yeah. So Vanessa, like, get on that. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why I haven't seen this movie. Hmm. I have no idea why. Um, for the most part, it's aged really, really well. There's some con. There's, I mean, there's some brushstrokes of um, homophobia and transphobia that haven't quite aged as well as everything else but I mean the the crazy thing is when you consider that Jonathan Demme followed this film with Philadelphia I think that when mm. he considered what he put out into the world and what he wanted his legacy to be I think if, if nothing else it taught him a valuable lesson um, but the actual case itself the performances themselves the structure of the film it's 27 years old now and it's yeah it's it's aged amazingly well yes 
Um, that, that's one of my co-workers that's one of their favorite films and she's always telling me so much about it and she can't believe that I haven't seen it yet either <laughs> um, I, I'd be curious to, to hear what you think when you do eventually catch up with it because sure. there's a lot of it that goes beyond um, beyond the, the, the parts that everybody knows that's kind of the thing I always love talking to people about the classics and essentials they haven't seen is you think that with the beats that you know you can fill in the rest right um, and a lot of times what I like is learning about people uh, and how they react to uh, the beats in between. So I will be, when, when you do eventually get to see Sons of Lambs, I'll be curious to, to hear what you think of the, of the parts that, um, that get filled in beyond just Hello Clarice, which everybody can, everybody can say. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that part. <laughs> everybody has. Yeah. Um, okay, last but not least for now, what is a film that for any rhyme or reason you wish you had made? Okay, you, you're going to predict this one. Probably. Uh call me by your name of course <laughs> i you know what that movie i saw it in late march i i saw it very late compared to everyone else and i'm actually very bummed that i missed it at tiff mm. uh ever since i saw that movie it's become my number one favorite movie of all time and wow. that's saying a lot okay like did you find the story affecting did you was what what about it touched you so deeply First of all, the first thing I noticed when I was watching it, the first thing I kind of could relate to was the Italian language in it. Because mm. it was filmed in Italy, and, and there was some... I think they speak, what, English, Italian, French, and German in mm -hmm. that film. Yeah. So all the little scenes with people speaking Italian, that was something that I really clung to. And I was like, oh, I feel such a part of this movie already. And it's, it's, we're just 10 minutes into it. It's just the story, the characters, the scenery was just absolutely beautiful. That film for me is perfection. But there is one thing that I would change, and that's why uh, I named this film as my answer for this question. Okay. I wish I had made this film because the one thing I would change about it is the love scene between... Elio and Oliver mm -hmm. I don't like how in the film the camera just pans away from the two of them and and just focuses on the window right and all you see in front of you is just a tree mm -hmm. but you can still hear what's going on I, I, I feel as if we just spent two hours getting to know these characters having like a realistic timeline of a love blooming it's not like the love was rushed in this film you it took its time to develop right and then all of a sudden the love scene comes and you're like yes finally and then the camera just pans away i, I that's the one thing about this film that i would change the strangest thing about where we are um as a society and and as a film going society is we are still so afraid of gay sex, especially gay sex between yeah. men. And, you know, I mean, you're already an art film, for starters. It's not like you're going to be tearing up mad box office. So why you decide to hold back, why a movie like Blue is the Warmest Color can come along and have 20-minute mm -hmm. lesbian love scenes, but right. you dare to have a gay love scene between two men, and you need to pull the camera away... 
it it shows that like we're still I don't, like what are we are we still grossed out are we still intimidated are we still afraid I don't I don't understand it and it 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 it's a cop out really you know because exactly exactly this this movie is about I, I, I loved the heck out of it. I, I didn't love it as much as you, uh, but I don't think very many people did. Um, but I loved the... I, I really, really loved this movie because it showed the many facets of an immediate young love. Um, the time of in our lives when we kind of love most intently. Um, and that's a lot of different things. That's um, a relationship of friends. It's a relationship of lovers. It's a relationship in obviously of of sexual partners and you need to show it all you know you need to really allow people to understand what these two people saw in each other over this one time so yeah i mean i'd love to see your version um if if that would change anything else that you would change about it yes no i i wouldn't change anything else about it you just love to go to italy and shoot movies exactly yeah yeah and and because i'm italian yes I, I, I would love to get to do that one day. I doubt it very much. Yeah. But, yeah. We all have a camera in our pocket now, so just get over there and create a little movie. All right, well, that's that's an awful lot about Vanessa. We will learn more when she does show up for another episode because we're not going to go 199 episodes without bringing her back. That's for darn sure. For now, though, we need to get to the new slang and something about the new slang for this episode. Um, we are going to do a spoiler section for Tully. Um, Tully has something at the end of its movie that warrants discussion in my mind um so we're gonna talk about it spoiler free at first and then go right into it uh after sounding a gong but uh, come on back after this for the new slang the new slang in episode 199 is totally Tully is directed by Jason Reitman. It's written by Diablo Cody. It stars Charlize Theron, Mackenzie Davis, Ron Livingston, and Mark Duplass. Marlo and Drew are about to have their third child, with two children already ruling the roost, one of which is on the spectrum. This couple are a little threadbare. To this, Marlo's brother Craig offers a lifeline. He proposes setting the couple up with a night nanny, a ninja-like caretaker that will allow the couple a bit of sleep and a bit of space. At first they decline, but when Marlo frays her last nerve, she hesitantly calls the number. In walks Tully, just as dedicated to tending to Marlo as tending to the baby. On this show, I usually don't get into how a movie is sold. I prefer to keep the conversation to what is contained within the cinema itself. But with this film, I believe it bears examination. You see, Tully proclaims itself to be about motherhood in 2018. But I dare say it's about more than that, and selling a bill of slightly false goods, it's limiting its reach. So pop quiz hotshot, is this movie being sold properly? Is it, as it says, about motherhood in 2018? Or is it about something more? First, before I watched the film, obviously I watched the trailer online to see what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. And the trailer, it hints very subtly at what the film is about but I think the trailer makes the film seem more happy 
more joyful, more funny than what the film is. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's almost like a sanitized version of the film, mm. which trailers usually are, to yeah. be fair. Yeah. But it like is it strictly about is is this is is Tully strictly just about motherhood um, in a modern age? Because I mean the the trailer that you watch is the same one that I watch that is is dotted with you know breast pumps and iPads and phones being dropped on their kids by accident, right? Um, you know, and and modern parenting. It, does it have something for us as well? I think for me, it convinced me even more <laughs> that I don't want to have kids. Okay. So, yeah, definitely. I think it is for single people, childless people as well. Yeah. It almost serves as a warning. Like, I hate to say it. Yeah. But that's what I came away from it thinking. Like, oh, I'm glad I don't have kids. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a life choice for wusses, that's for sure. Um, and, you know... I, it, it's funny because when I when I look at when I look at what is sold versus what the movie is, I mean this is really a movie in three parts. The first part very much is what is in the trailer. The first part very yeah. much is the chaos of parenting and and you know the chaos of a, a two parent household. Really, that's the thing too is that there are households that are way more chaotic where right. it's only one person trying to trying to keep all the ducks moving in one direction. Um, the second part is where I think that this movie is about a lot more because once Tully shows up, um, it very much becomes about who Marlowe is, who Marlowe thought she was going to be, who Marlowe could be. It's it's about uh, you know it, it's about who we are as people and how we kind of have to balance that with everything, with our jobs, with our families. And then, then when we get to the third act, we kind of get about marrying the two. And I wonder if it's kind of a disservice that... I, I don't know how you sell that, obviously. So, you know, maybe in a trailer that was the thing is, this is the easiest thing we can sell, so this is what we're going to do. But I feel like it's a disservice when it doesn't underline the discussion of who we are as people. Because I feel like there's a lot of people who get burnt out, a lot of people who get depressed, a lot of people who get lost... And I think that they they would actually find a lot of themselves in Tully. I was just going to say that. I think if the trailer had marketed this movie a bit better, I think even more people would have gone to see it. I'm not sure exactly what the grosses for this movie are, but... It ain't I, high. I it's, not, it's not making Avengers money, that's for sure. It, well, <laughs> not many movies are. No. But no, I, I certainly agree with you. If the trailer had been a bit more savvy a bit more realistic mm-hmm. in terms of what this story is about, I think it would have attracted a greater audience. Yeah. Because, I mean, wasn't last week or is it this week, Is wasn't it Mental Health Week? Mm-hmm. The, I mean, they could have tied that into this trailer or its release so seamlessly. Yeah. And I, I think they missed out on that. Yeah. But what, enough about the trailer. What did we think of the movie overall? It... It was to me. It was a disappointment. Really, that I I did like. I would say I, I I did like the first half. Okay. The second half is where it started to go a bit downhill for me. I almost feel as if Diablo Cody, the writer. I almost feel as if she gave up hmm. at a certain point and just said, "Okay, I'm writing this movie. Let me just end it." Hmm. Okay. 
it's it's funny because I actually I, I liked it a lot more than you. Um, I I I'd kind of forgotten actually. It's funny that you mentioned Diablo Cody. I was going to bring her up a little bit later. I I kind of forgotten how much I love her writing. Um, this now the story structure is something altogether different, which we'll really get into the nuts and bolts of when we get to this, the spoiler section. But she has a way of articulating feelings and articulating frustrations that I'd kind of give my right nut to articulate. Um, there's um, there's a point where one of the one of the best lines I've I've ever heard is when she's talking about. Uh, Tully is talking about how she has several relationships on the go, and Marlo said, oh, that used to be me. There was a time where I rode every horse on the carousel, and then I found Drew, and that was it for me, and um, Tully asks Marlo, well, which horse was he? And she says, he's the bench. And that says so many things almost, and that's just the end of it, too. Like, they just, they just, that little button on the conversation, and that's it. And I, I, I love that so much. I know there's a lot of people who really have issue with the way she wrote a movie like Juno and the way she had people talking. Um, but I kind of talk like that. That's the thing. It's not quite that clever, at least not on, not every day. Sometimes I'm, I got a good one. So I, I was going to say the same thing. I really liked young adult. The movie mm-hmm. she did. I think it was the, the movie she did with Charlize before mm-hmm. this one. So I, I really liked her writing in that one because it was so on point especially regarding the way people our age do speak nowadays. Yeah. It was so on point. It was so cynical. The, the, the jargon was just spot on. And, and the same with this one. I'm not saying the writing was bad. You're, you're, you have issue with the story. The story, yes, Which, exactly. The, you know that that it's it's two parts of the same thing, and 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 it's you know it's it's certainly all all hanging on writing. This is a movie that opens as a for instance when we're talking about kind of story and how it chooses to tell its story, it gets very quickly into this kind of machine gun montage of early parenting, where you just get like cut after cut after cut of diaper genies and changing and bottles and babies crying and ro- it, it's. It's that little section. I could see people saying that summed it up really nicely. Um, I could see other people saying that was a complete crock. It made the movie more predictable. Okay. For me. Okay. It's a common trope that we've seen before. And for a writer that's as good as Diablo Cody is, Mm -hmm. I think maybe she could have done better. Okay. Like I don't, I don't want it to seem as if I hated this movie. I didn't hate it. Right. It's, it's just, it's imperfect to me. Yeah. And 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 like you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. There's certainly not, nothing wrong with saying that there's interesting things within a flawed film. It's the same way I like saying, here's a movie I loved, but I wonder about this and this and this and this. You know, right. it's there's 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 a lot of movies that are terrible there's a lot of movies that are amazing, and then everything else kind of falls in between, and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of how those stay with us that I'm always interested in discussing, right? This is a rather honest expression of the challenges that face parents. Charlize Theron, in this movie, she spends most of the movie um, a lot heavier than she normally is, and to, to to more emulate the kind of body that a new mother would have. And she at one point even says to Tully, you know, so I'm supposed to go upstairs and switch out of mommy mode and be into sexual partner mode right away? 
um, you don't you don't hear you don't hear that kind of thing talked about in movies. I think a lot of people are still scared to admit that that exists. Mm-hmm. That and especially women. I I don't think women have a problem with admitting that about themselves. That they don't always feel pretty. They're covered in concealer, yeah. like what was said in the film. Yeah. I don't think women have a problem with that. I think it's men who are scared of the idea that women are not perfect. So, because usually, especially an actress like Charlize, I mean, she spent the first half of her career as just eye candy yeah. in films. And I mean, look at her now. She is phenomenal. Uh, so I think a lot of men, and perhaps even a lot of women, are uncomfortable seeing her in this film because she's she's got like hardly any makeup on. She's considered overweight, right? Uh, and she's which is, which she's is still not a very normal body. That's the, you know, which is which is still a very normal body to have. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, she. I, I say overweight. I'm putting it in quotations. Yeah. By no means was she obese in the film. It's just she was a lot heavier than what she usually is. Yeah. Um, the funny thing that you mentioned, and and I'm like, I, this is going to sound like a question that I'm asking, knowing the answer to, and I genuinely don't. In 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 a certain respect, does this film feel like a conversation that women have when men aren't in the room? Because yeah. you know, it, it is. It, I, I've I've come to very much understand that women will talk one way when they are together the second a guy shows up you're still going to speak you know in 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 your own rhythms and your own patterns than you were if it was just like dating or if it was just with one-on-one with a man and a woman but in in any respect does this feel sort of like a, a female conversation that we're all just happen to be privy to watch yes in many ways it does How i so? think like you said when men as soon as men walk into the room we sort of filter ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, women, for the, the majority of women, are very outspoken nowadays. I mean, it is 2018. And we tend to not hide a lot of our feelings, but I think we do still filter ourselves because we're scared of what others, men especially, will think of us. If they perhaps they hear the wrong thing coming out of our mouths you know yeah so i mean it's it's like that's the kind of thing that you get when you get um you know charlize theron speaking diablo cody's words uh, to mackenzie davis is you get a conversation like i would like more men to go watch this movie because i think i really think we could learn something I, I i would love to see that and i would love to hear men's opinions on this movie as well I don't think we need too many more men's opinions about anything in no, the world, but I, 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 I do get what you're saying, because, um, you know, we've we've been talking a lot about Charlize Theron. What did we think about Mackenzie Davis in this movie? Oh my gosh, she was an absolute delight. Right? I have the biggest crush on that woman now. And <laughs> to be honest, I've never seen her or heard of her in anything else. I, is she fairly new? Like, that may be a stupid question, but I've never seen her in anything else before. It's not a stupid question. She's new-ish. She first came to my attention uh, three or four years ago when she she was on a TV show on AMC called Halt and Catch Fire, which was with Lee Pace um, about, like, the 1980s um, world of computer. And she did, a few years ago, she did a really great Toronto movie um, that in Canada is called the F word, and in the states is called What If, 
with Daniel Radcliffe and um, Zoe Kazan. It's one of these movies that examines whether or not men and women can be friends, um, and she's in that. But in this, this is this is one of her more prominent roles. That's for sure. And um, I was I was just so very taken with her in yeah. this movie. I like I was a little bit more familiar with her than you, but I was really really taken with um, her acting with her she has she has an intimacy about her in this movie which makes sense when you eventually put the pieces together but she the whole her whole approach to this movie is a really really intimate one and it's it's a really joyous thing to see obviously her character is very whimsical she's very emotionally driven mm. i think She's very, very relatable. She's impulsive sometimes. She's very yes. free-spirited is the word you're looking That's for. That's why I say she was very relatable because yeah. a lot of the things she did in this film, I think a lot of people could relate to. Mm-hmm. They can they can see themselves in Tully, in her faults and in her good qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just gravitated towards that character. I, I loved her. Does she, she does she ever drift over into like manic pixie dream girl tendencies, or or does she still kind of keep things a little bit more genuine? I think for the most part it's genuine, but and I don't want to spoil anything. But you know that scene, yeah, towards the end where yeah. I don't want to say anything. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, when when I was talking about intimacy between these these two women. Um, there's a scene late in this movie, and it's not even like a... It's not spoiling anything. I just don't want to describe it, uh, because I, it's the kind of thing that I just want to let people see play. There's a scene between these two women in a bar bathroom that might be the most intimate thing I think I've ever seen in a movie. It's... In, in certain ways, it's absurd. Um... <laughs> I don't I don't know how often that kind of thing happens, but at the same time, it's something that's so beautiful and so personal that I just really found myself pinned back in my seat. Am it I was nuts, very or? poignant. I have to agree with hmm. you. Really, watching uh, Theron and Mackenzie Davis go through that kind of thing, it was like I mean that alone was was really worth you know going to see this movie for sure. I agree. It's one of the scenes one of the two scenes that I actually really liked from that movie that stood out. Can you tell the other one, or is that getting into spoiler territory? Oh, no, no. The other one, it, it's not spoilery at all. It was the scene where Marlo is jogging through the mm. park or forest. Yep. And I just love the way that scene was shot with the light uh, kind of filtering in through the trees, the sunlight. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows her struggle to just catch up with everyone else around her literally catch up because she's running and she tries to overtake the woman in front of her and she ends up failing and just falling by the side of the the trail yeah it shows the struggle but it also shows that there is hope just through that light filtering through the trees and i i just love the way that scene was shot it was great it's you know i i looked at that scene and i thought to myself like watching her i mean you, you can't tell because it's a very close-cropped camera, but I'm not a person who jogs. I do not have a jogger's body. <laughs> so anytime I see somebody running, I am, I'm always just so envious of people who can run. And when I watch Marlo running in this movie, I'm like, that's about as well as I would move, if not much better. And and she's really just putting everything she has into running that yeah. fast. And then yeah. this early 20s woman runs past her at, a, at a just 
the most carefree pace and you you're like she is giving it her all just to get to that level and a rabbit just ran by her and now she's gonna go chase it it, it it's it's almost heartbreaking yeah i felt like throwing a rock at that woman <laughs> the one the younger one <laughs> yeah yeah um the one thing i do need to ask because this is a movie where this couple that's raising two kids gets offered this um you know this lifeline of a night nanny is is this a story of privilege yes because i mean who nowadays could actually afford a night nanny i before i saw this film i'd never even heard of a night nanny i've heard of a nanny yeah but i i never knew there was actually someone you could hire to come in at night so that the new parents could sleep Mm -hmm. i didn't know that was a thing is it a thing or did they make it up for this I mean, Dude, part, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a thing. If you've got yeah. enough money, it must be a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in that respect, I would definitely say it's it's privilege right there. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think your average parent or your average single mom even could afford that. I mean, people can't even afford daycare. Yeah. That was going to be my thing is that... Um, I, you know, listen, I have, I have nothing against people of privilege. I have nothing against, if you can, listen, if you can afford a nanny, for the love of God, do it. Um, but it, it certainly does say something if you've got the income that you can bring a third grown up into your household to help you, um, you know, keep the line moving. Unfortunately, that's just, that's so many, that's not a lot of people's reality. And I think that has to be underlined when you look at a movie like this, the, the only the counterweight to that is happily it's not really about that um it, it's it's more about it's it's actually more about who she is for marlo than who she is for baby so um that I, I, that's the that's the saving grace i think when we talk about how much this is a movie of privilege yes i agree and i i have very, something very similar written down in my notes where this is a nanny that was brought in for the benefit of the parent mm-hmm. and not the children. Uh, for example, there's so many nanny films. There's Mary Poppins. There's uh, The Sound of Music where Maria comes in. This is Doubtfire. Exactly. And those nannies are brought in for the kids. Mm-hmm. There, I, I can't think of another movie where a nanny was brought in for the parent. Yeah, and, and no. that stood out to me right away. Wow, that's different. I've never seen that before. I mean, and it also comes into this beautiful notion that if if we have... We don't even have to pay them. It might just be a matter of asking for help. But if we have somebody who can take care of us, um, we can take care of our families. That I think like that's... I believe that's the message of this movie, which I think is a really beautiful message. Like you say, it's it's a nanny. it's a nanny for the mother, not the nanny for the child. Right. So I agree. All right. Well, we are going to get into a spoiler section in just one second. But before we go there, in case you do want to tap out here, um, we are going to talk about our souvenir and a rating for this movie. Uh, we end our, uh, well, we usually end our uh, reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible that if you could take away from Tully, you would and keep. Vanessa Bettino, what would be your souvenir from Jason Reitman's Tully? You're going to laugh. Probably. It's, <laughs> it's all the cozy knitwear. Really? That Marlo and Tully wear. I, okay. I love a good sweater. I, <laughs> we are Canadian and we love our sweaters. 
So okay. yeah, I just love their wardrobe. Nice. Everything looks so cozy and comfortable. That's what I would take away. That it, would be my souvenir. It looks, you know, we talked about privilege and everything like that, but all their wardrobe actually looks very working class. So very realistic, yeah. I have to say. Okay. Yes. Um, mine, you know, I, I I say this carefully because it pays the bills in this house, but I don't really watch a whole lot of reality television. I am endlessly fascinated about gigolos. I don't know. Is that an actual show, or did they make it up for this movie? I think it was probably made up. I, I, I would be, I would be uh, kind of horrified if it was real. I I, <laughs> I, I totally. I've seen way worse concepts on reality television than gigolos, but I and, and I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole because I could see myself losing hours. But I, I'd be curious about like one episode to see what it's all about. You should Google it. After we're done recording this, dude, go go on Google and see if it's a thing. Hey, listen, Google, I don't know if you saw on Twitter or not earlier tonight, Google's making some wild assumptions about me anyway, I so I, you know, I, I might as well feed the beast. Um, all right, well, we rate here on a scale of one to four on the matinee cast. Vanessa, what do you give Tully on a scale of one to four stars? 2.5 stars. Okay, that kind of, that certainly does line up with uh, with what you're saying. I, I like this movie a lot more than you. Um, this is a this is somewhere between a three and a three and a half for me, depending on my mood. Um, I, I really do, I really do like its ultimate message of self care, um, and my my reservations with it come from something that we're going to talk about in a minute. But I was really happy with the experience. I was really happy catching up with Diablo Cody again. Jason Reitman with this movie is kind of. Made up for a lot of weird walks in the wilderness over the last few years of his career, so I really like this movie. Um, Vanessa, um, you know, did not as much, but certainly thinks that there are things worth talking about and things worth seeing in it, um, even if it didn't ultimately work. And we will find out why right after this when we talk about spoilers for Tully. So turn back, ye who wish not to enter here, because spoilers are coming up. Okay, so in case you've come this far and you have not seen the movie, the ultimate payoff is that Tully herself is just a manifestation of Marlowe's younger self. Marlowe's 26 or 27-year-old self. Um, and, okay, that, first of all, you say you saw that coming. I'm impro- where, how, when did you put that one together? put it together I don't want to say really quickly okay you put it together early on yeah very early on the obvious thing that stood out to me was that no one but Marlo interacted with Tully right or even saw her right so right there I was like wait a minute (laughs) Something, something is going on here. Okay. And that's that's what initially clued me in to the fact that Tully didn't actually exist. Okay. The uh, second thing that stood out to me was, I think this movie would be too easy if there was actually a nanny, like a real live nanny hired. To me, that would be a cop-out. It would be too easy. Okay. 
Um, I I don't know if like it could be saying something about where my brain goes and how I follow along with the plot. I'm 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 just gonna say I did not see it coming. Um, I wasn't like shocked. I wasn't stunned and thought, you know, holy crap, he was dead the whole time. Um, but at the same time, I was I was I was taken aback. Um, I, I I figured it out before the ultimate reveal like but not far like maybe just a few scenes before it kind of dawned on me and that to me is one of the things that holds this movie back because the rest of the movie is not fantastical the rest of the movie is as we said a very real look it's a it's it's a very personal look in some places and it's women talking in the room without guys around so to take it into the fantastical, um, it's not, you know, to bring back to a movie that we talked about in the intro, it's not The Shape of Water. This is a movie that is very much taking place in the real, and to do that, I, I didn't, I, I don't know that that twist worked for me. I think I'm loving it despite not loving it because. I, th- I think that's a good point. Um, I-, I could very much see where you're coming from. I think for me, I'm just... I don't know if it's because I'm very intuitive or I, I pick up on weird things in movies quite easily. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I do know how I picked it up. It just, it like I said, it would seem too easy to me for there to be an actual night nanny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also see where you're coming from and I understand what you're saying. I mean, the thing that's, the thing that kind of saddens me about that um, is that it it completely... So, I mean, on the one hand, it's saying get in touch with who you used to be, which I do think is important because we change so much and there are things about our past selves that can help us move forward. Um, and, and I think a lot of people do lose who they used to be. But what that betrays is this, as I was saying, this intimacy, this this relationship between these two women and and how it was blurring a lot of lines we talked earlier about call me by your name and that movie for me blurred the lines between brotherhood and friendship and romantic love and sexual love this that's what this was doing in a lot of ways it was really blurring the lines of who these two what these two women meant to each other and to say that it was her relationship with herself i was like oh i don't know that i I don't know that I'd go for that. You know what? It's funny because when I walked out of the theater, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Huh. Because I, prior to watching the movie, I had only seen positive reviews for it. Uh, like in the newspaper, for instance, it got a good review. Mm-hmm. So I saw the movie and I walked out feeling like, Uh, It could have been a lot better. So then I went online and I started reading other film critics' reviews. And a lot of them felt the same way I did. And I was thinking to myself, why didn't I see these reviews before I went to watch the movie? Hmm. Um, But yeah, apparently it was... The way I feel about it is what others felt about it as well. So I guess it wasn't so much of a surprise to me afterwards. Yeah, it's... um it's as I said. It's it's a really, it 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 can change your whole perception of the movie. It really can yes. take this story about 
um, you know, they, they use they use the beautiful metaphor of, of the boat. And if you change all of the boards in the boat, is it still the same boat? Um, and, you know, just, just to really illustrate that, we've got the old boat and the new boat, um, you know, hanging around and, and trying to raise this child and go to New York and drink. Um, it's that, that I think, I really think at the end of the day, after people watch this movie, that might be what they think about it is, did you buy this fantastical twist? Um, I didn't buy it, but I liked it despite, um, if, if that, if that explains anything. A lot of that talk of, as I said, if you, if you rip up all the boards of the boat, is it still the same boat? I actually found that rather profound, um, just because I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by looking back on our past selves. Yeah. But I think, I, I think there's a way to do that without saying you were literally talking to your past self. It was too too harsh, almost mm-hmm. too obvious. Yeah, the actual handling of the twist. I mean, it's it's really it it's mentioned and moved on. It it, it is it is dro- It's 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 almost like a bomb that goes off five minutes before the end of the movie. If this woman is as exhausted as they say that she's talking to herself, that warrants some conversation. Exactly, yeah. and that's that's. The, the major thing that okay it, if it hadn't been for the twist mm-hmm. and for the way the movie ended I would have rated this higher than two and a half stars yeah it was the way it was left mm-hmm. like you said there was a literal bomb that was dropped on the audience and then almost the last scene when Drew her husband joins her in the kitchen while she's making the her children's lunches and it just, the movie just ends as if, oh, everything's okay now. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think everything is okay now. No. Does this woman have a form of, uh, what's it called? It, it, uh, it's I mean, postnatal it's a postpartum depression. depression. I mean, I mean, she does, but the, the, that, that's a question of severity, right? And the, the the hospital brings up. Um, just chronic exhaustion as well. Um, she's she's at a point in her life where she's thinking nothing of drinking and driving, despite the fact of having three small kids at home. There is there's at least three more scenes of this movie that need to be shot and explored before we very charmingly make our sandwiches and listen to the same earbud. Which, I mean, that, that was lovely. As a, as a person who likes sharing earbuds, that was charming as heck. But, uh, there's a few more things we need to talk about before we, you know, both play our song. And, and that's what I meant earlier when I said it felt as if Diablo Cody just gave up. Yeah. She figured, okay, let me just finish the movie now. Yeah. And she just ended it. Yeah, it's it's really fair, and I you know to to that end when we're talking about the spoiler, um, that that's that's the takeaway of the movie is can you just take all of the goodwill that the movie put out there in its first it's a ninety six minute movie can you put out take the goodwill that was put out in that first eighty six minutes and yeah. take that away with you or do those last ten undo all of that and and I think at the end of the day I think that's where we're differing is I was I was okay with it I was I was still seeing it for its flaw and still holding it back a bit for that flaw but I'm, I'm holding on more to the 86 minutes and you 
understandably so, are saying that last 10 undoes a lot of the first 86. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's absolutely fair. Hey, uh, maybe you think we're both crazy. Maybe you think that this movie is way better than we're saying, or way worse than we're saying. Uh, let me know what you think. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What did you think of Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody's Tully? Come on back right after this. We are going to flip the record over and play the other side, talk about some other movies right after this break. We're back. She's Vanessa. I'm Ryan. It's Matinee Cast 199. We've been talking about Tully, and um, I don't know about you. I actually found a hard time marrying up this movie with other films. Um, what did you? What in the world did you come up with for people to go on to um, after they come away from this movie? I came up with two, okay. and like you, I had a hard time. It took me a while to come up with these two. Uh, the first one may be a bit obvious: the hand that rocks the cradle, because it oh, is. I hadn't rock- thought of that. It, well, it's 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 referenced when uh, Marlo is talking to her brother in his little tiki bar. Right. Where she's like, oh, the nanny comes in, tries to kill the, the kids, and then the mother ends up walking with a cane at the end. I, and at first I didn't catch on to that, but I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. I <laughs> totally forgot about that. What's that movie, like 1991 or something? 92. 92. Yes. <laughs> you still would be watching Home Alone back then. Um, I... <laughs> Uh, that's Julianne Moore is in that movie, isn't she? Yes, but she plays a small part. It's Rebecca De Mornay. I remember who plays her. the psychotic nanny. Yeah, and someone else plays the mother. Not I think Julianne Moore plays the mother's best friend. Okay, okay, and yeah, and and it's and she hires yeah she hires this nanny who comes in and the, it's this was kind of in the era of like fatal attraction and, exactly. and you know bitches be crazy um so <laughs> oh my god i have i i have it have you actually seen that movie i used to have the vhs tape and dude this came out in 92 i was only 10 years old why were you watching were, that my my parents were very free with me they saw how much i loved movies so yeah they let me watch whatever i wanted wow uh, and you know what? It is shocking because I mean, there's sexual abuse in that film as well at the very beginning. And obviously, at ten years old, I didn't know what that was. No. Now you watch it, and you're like, "What was I doing?" Now I do. <laughs> wow. But yeah, I, I watched that movie to death. That VHS tape, I think, got eventually eaten away in the VCR, probably. Oh my god! It's it's stories like this that make me love doing this show. I got to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I I've ne- listen. I know the I know the basic story and. Having seen some of those '90s uh, bitches be crazy movies, I could kind of figure out where it goes. I, in the in the in the interest of the like, like I was saying earlier, the actual filling in of the gaps in the Silence of the Lambs kind of way, I would be interested to see it. And and I cannot think of many better things than coming home from Tully and watching that movie. That is a you know gl- what I'm gonna watch it this weekend. I, I, might, I might be watching it too. If you're, <laughs> okay. if you follow my letterbox, you can look for that movie. Um, oh man, that is a really, really good one. Um, okay, so one of the ones I wanted to talk about was I mentioned earlier on how Jason Reitman has kind of been wandering in the weeds, and um, you know, the, the the obvious marry up with this movie is Juno um, because it's it's another pregnancy movie, it's another movie about uh, maturity and whatnot. But I wanted to go 
to one of his misfires, he's got a movie from a few years ago called Men, Women, and Children. Have you heard of or seen this movie? I don't know. It doesn't sound familiar okay. at all. There's a reason why. Um, <laughs> it did not do very well. I think it got a very, very short and limited release. And it is Reitman and his band of misfits. I can't remember who wrote it. It was not Diablo Cody. He might have wrote it himself. Um, trying to look at the way we relate in an internet age. And his mission statement was, if you imagine the invention of the car, um, instead of getting a Model T, we got a Ferrari. That's what happened with the internet. We got this thing that was fully formed at its you know, basically its highest octane when it dropped into our laps, whether we were ready for it or not. And it changed the way everybody relates to everybody, certainly in a romantic and sexual capacity. The film is a mess. The film is an absolute messy, messy, messy movie. And it, it's looking at everything from infidelity to... Uh, the way uh, teenagers are, their 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 um, approach to sex is shaped by porn. Um, the way their the the way their body image is shaped by things like Tumblr and things like you know Snapchat wasn't even around when the movie was out, so it's it's that kind of tells you where it was. And it's it's a movie I think would merit a marry up with this movie because one I think it, it shows that. Even a director who can screw up from time to time can still have good stories in them. I'm, I'm, I'm. If a if a director keeps screwing up over and over and over, I'll usually tap out. Um, but I, I sometimes get curious to come back if it's the right marriage. And like we were saying earlier, the thing I do like about it is the way sometimes you can find um, really interesting things in really bad movies that will stick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd be, like I'd be curious even for you just to kind of like watch the trailer and see if you can kind of glean a few things of what it's about. Um, What's it called? I'm gonna write it down. Men, women, and children. It's um, <laughs> this might scare you off, but it's Adam Sandler trying to play it straight. Oh dear God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll check it out. I'll at least watch the trailer. Watch the trailer. Yeah, watch, like that. you know, watch ten or fifteen minutes of it. Um, it's funny too because. In, in mentioning that it's not a great movie, it's one of those things that I always kind of point to that when Adam Sandler tries to play it straight, more often than not, his directors let him down. So how can I blame him for doing all this shitty, goofy crap when he tries to elevate above his station and it doesn't work for him? I think maybe because his directors don't take him seriously enough. Maybe. That's possible. Um, what was the other movie you had uh, to go along with Tully? The okay, you're gonna laugh. The Sixth Sense, because, <laughs> not because it relates in any way to the subject matter of Tully, but because I think that's the kind of movie that does this kind of twist properly. Mm. I, I mean, the twist in The Sixth Sense, for the most part, no one saw coming. Yeah. So that was done really well. The twist in Tully, for me at least, eh, kind of didn't do much for me. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting too. Like we there's there's a lot of there's a lot of classic movies that hang on a twist, right? Like everything from Psycho to Citizen Kane to Soylent Green. They they've all got these really big third act reveals and. 
what I've always found fascinating is when you take any film, whether it's a Sixth Sense or Tully, can it survive its twist? When you know the the the, the big turn in the end, or you when you know the big device, is the re- does the rest of it have enough to go on, or are you just selling a twist? Because I can come up with some pretty wild plot twists, you know. I don't know if I can give you a convincing story that works more than once. I think the sixth sense again is an example of yes, there being a masterful twist three quarters through the movie. And and I think because the story itself is so strong to begin with and the audience is invested in this film through the characters and the storyline, I think that that movie carried the twist off. Um, the audience was not let down. At least I don't think they were. Um, but yes, there's there's other movies that do have twists in them as well, like Tully, where it kind of falls flat. Yeah. Maybe because the audience wasn't as invested in the storyline or the characters or the relationships. Maybe because it's just not a very good twist. Or, yeah, maybe because it's just a rubbish twist. <laughs> I, And you know what? There's a lot of books... Uh, uh, that have twists in them as well. Uh, fantasy books, especially, there's tons of twists in mm-hmm. fantasy, uh, in the fantasy genre. And, and you know, not all of them are written well. But I think if if you form a certain relationship and a, and a certain emotional connection with the characters in the book you're reading, and the twist is done really well and it's very creative, I think that's going to get you. It's going to pull you in, and it's just going to make you love the story or the book or the film even more. I want to start a rock band, by the way, named Rubbish Twist. Um, Oh, let's do that, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I mean, the other association is, and I mean, there's a reason for it, but the other association is that both of these movies are about fractured marriages, right? Like, you you watch that what made the sixth sense work for so long was the idea that two people can be in the same house and not relating and that does certainly come up a lot in tully i mean i i feel like ron livingston is in this movie to walk into the house and then go put on his headphones and start playing video games which i mean don't get me wrong that's that's a lot of people's life I'm, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that that is any kind of contrivance because there's a lot of people who it's they come home they, yeah they come home from work and pick up the iPad or they come home from work and plug into their Xbox and that's their escape it's their so escape it's their day, release right? valve yeah and it's hey if if that helps you you know stick with the parenting and the marriage then I'm not going to tell you otherwise but you don't it's it's interesting to see that captured that see that reflected back at us on film same thing as in the sixth sense of seeing people who are moving about the same house and not talking, seeing people sit down at the same dinner table and not talk. You know, mm-hmm. you all you you get that in a different way in that movie. I think a lot of people could relate to that too because not every relationship is perfect. It, it's not a Hallmark movie. No. You, you know, uh, yeah. and I think in a true sense, that's what a lot of relationships are sometimes. People not interacting, people fighting, or people just not connecting with each other, even though they're they're steps away from each other in the same home. Yeah. What's the 
What's the old line? It's not when you're yelling at each other that there's a problem. It's when you stop talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, I think something like that. Something to that effect. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a doctor, but I think that's something towards it. Um, I think the other movie that I wanted to, to mention, and it, it's another, it's a connection with Charlize Theron, um, and she's not in it that much, but she's in it enough, is the adaptation of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Is that the one with Viggo Mortensen? That's the one. I haven't seen that. Okay. So she she's only in it in flashback, and I think she maybe only has three scenes. Um, she's the mother of the of the child that Vigo is walking down the road with. Um, and we, we there's a few scenes where we go back and we see the apocalypse that kind of... We, we, we don't see it happen. We have no idea why the world is this way. But we, we go back to the night that it happened and we basically see um, them trying to deal with the actual... Uh, news that it's coming, like he's got to like really quickly like try to forge as much water as he can, and then the two of them come to grips with the fact that they're about to bring a child into this very very different world, and she, you know, it, it's it's they they tried to touch on this in The Walking Dead a few times of bringing a child into a very crazy world. Let's be honest, we're not living in an awesome world right now. No. You know, we don't have zombies walking around and we certainly don't have whatever it is going on in the road, but it's not awesome. So every time you decide to bring a child into it, there's a lot of soul searching that probably has to happen and and it does in the road because they quickly realize how bleak things are and Charlize Theron's scenes where she's got to confront her own depression um, and her own realization of what this world is they're really affecting. I, I've always wanted to see that movie. Again, it, it's something that's always been on my radar, and mm. I've meant to watch it. I just never have. Yeah. But you you bring up a good point, too. I mean, every time a couple or even a single parent decides to bring a, a child into this world, I mean, yeah, there it's not as bad as The Walking Dead where we've got zombies parading up and down the street. Yeah. But it's not a perfect world, and you you have to wonder, am I making the right decision bringing a child into this kind of environment, especially with everything that's going on in the Middle East and in the States? Just what we're doing to the planet in general. Like, that's the thing. It's it's one thing for us to confront global warming, because we'll be gone by the time it gets really bad, but every child and every additional generation you bring into what we have done... Like you know, you if there is even a conversation with yourself, it, it's a it's a really hard one. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough decision to make. It, it is by no means an easy decision. Yeah. So so seeing in the road, you know that, that's that's kind of what she's there to do. Like no, I'm not really giving much away because she she plays a very small part in that movie. And uh, you know if you're a Charlize Theron fan and you're going to the movie for that, I'm really sorry because she's in and out of it pretty quick. Um, but it's her scene, her scenes and her dialogue and the way she conducts herself is um, is really quite memorable. And it's it would make a would make an interesting marry up with this movie. That's for sure. That is episode 199 of the Matinee Cast. Come on back. We're gonna take a few weeks off, but we'll come on back on Monday, June 11th for episode 200. There is a lot to do on that show and I'm really proud that I was able to get 200 episodes so please drop by and uh, help me mark the occasion. Um, Vanessa's work can be found at... 
Super Veebs, Super Veebs, Super Veebs, Super Veebie.wordpress.com. Um, are you gonna, is there anything you're writing about in the next few weeks that people can like go to your space and look forward to? There will be a post already up that went up on Sunday morning about me turning 36. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> and there will be a few film related posts coming probably in June. Very cool. And if people want to follow you on Twitter and uh, certainly uh, certainly Let's Movie with you, where can they find you? You can find me at Call Me VB. God damn it, I just got that song out of my head. Uh, I've never even heard that song. <laughs> it is catchy. Um, but yes, please follow Vanessa on Twitter. Um, and um, thank you so much for coming by. Oh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, um, Apple's podcast app, the iTunes Store, and Google Play. I'm working on getting it on Spotify. For If you're a Spotify listener, that's just a little bit more slow going than I thought. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Tully or any of the other movies that we talked about today, especially the hand that rocks the cradle, can be sent to Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts? Thanks so much for having me, and congratulations on 200 episodes. Hey, see, now, now now I put pressure on myself. Like, now I have to make it to 200. I'm going to be, like, oh, watching. I'm going to be, like looking three ways before I cross the street. I'm going to be checking expiration dates on all my food. I've got, like, I can't stop now. I've got to get, I might, like, just rip off the band-aid and go record it tomorrow just to make sure. So, um, but thank you for doing this. For Vanessa, I'm Ryan, and we'll see you at the matinee.